A quick warning before we start. This episode contains descriptions of violent acts, and it might not be suitable for younger audiences without parental guidance. There are moments where there's a case that shakes the conscience of the people, and this was one of it. Se llamaba Alexa, el asesinato de una mujer transgénero en Puerto Rico. The governor of Puerto Rico says all signs in this point to a hate crime. The 29-year-old's body was found on the side of the road, shot multiple times. Alexa's murder was one of those cases where people said transphobia kills. A false narrative spread on social media, and that led people to defame Alexa and may have driven some to target, threaten, and kill her. Alexa Negron Luciano was killed on February 24, 2020, in Toa Baja, Puerto Rico. Her case sparked a conversation about a wave of violence against the LGBTQ community on the island, and particularly against transgender people. The number of murders in the transgender community in Puerto Rico is not disconnected from the ones on the mainland, the United States. Last year, 44 transgender or gender non-conforming people were fatally shot or killed in the U.S., a number never seen before by advocates, according to the Human Rights Campaign. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Since Alexa's murder, at least six other transgender people have been killed in Puerto Rico. Altogether, in the last two years, activists have documented a total of 12 violent deaths of members of the LGBTQ community. Recently, Puerto Rico's new governor, Pedro Pérez-Luisi, declared a state of emergency and signed an executive order to address the issue last month. We're talking about it today with three people on the island, a journalist, a transgender activist, and an LGBTQ human rights advocate. I'm Pedro Julio Serrano. I'm the founder uh, of Puerto Rico Para Todos, Puerto Rico for All, which is an organization that works to create social justice for everyone in Puerto Rico, especially the LGBTQ plus community. We heard Pedro's voice at the beginning of this episode, talking about the significance of Alexa's case. Once again, bad buddy! Her murder caught a lot of attention last year when famous Puerto Rican reggaeton singer Bad Bunny wore a T-shirt with her name during a performance on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. Alexa was experiencing homelessness. One day, she went to a McDonald's restaurant in Toa Baja and used the woman's bathroom. Customers there complained about it, and the police were called. They wrongly accused Alexa of going to the bathroom and uh, molesting children. And she didn't do any of that sort. She was only going to the bathroom because she was a black, homeless, transgender woman who was just going to the bathroom as we all do. And then the police came and people took pictures of her. They put it on social media. And then wherever they saw her, people would post her. I saw her here. I saw her there. So that very same night, she was hunted and they found her and they videotaped. A video of that night's events was posted on social media. You can hear people insulting Alexa. 
and see them following her. Shots rang out. No one has been charged in connection to Alexa's murder. Next week will be a year since her death. One of the obstacles human rights advocates have encountered when it comes to the investigations of the killings is that most of the time, they're not classified as hate crimes. The thing is that hate crimes are not just a crime against one person. It's a crime that it's done to send a message to a group of people that you are less than and that you can be hunted and killed and nothing will happen to you because we are getting rid of people who are not worthy of living. And that's why it's so critical that hate crimes are classified as crimes motivated by prejudice. The problem is that even with all the trainings that we have been giving to the authorities, still today, they are not being classified as hate crimes. Pedro also said that authorities should make sure not to misgender or deadname the victims. Deadnaming, by the way, is a term defined as using the name that a transgender person was given at birth instead of the one they chose upon transitioning. For example, with Alexa, they said that it was a man dressed as a woman. Alexa was not a man dressed as a woman, was a woman, a trans woman. And it has happened over and over again. And the other thing that the police and the authorities are not following is that they have to identify the gender identity and the sexual orientation of the victims. And they do not do that. And it's because of institutionalized homophobia and transphobia. And it's also because they don't care. They don't care about this crime. So it's a challenge that after Puerto Rico was at the forefront of creating a hate crimes law in 2002, we're still in 2021 and things are back to square zero. Which is why activists said they were surprised when Puerto Rico's governor signed that executive order against gender violence last month. Here he is announcing the order in a televised address. It's been too long, this pattern of male chauvinism, related violence, feminicides, homophobic and and transphobic violence. We want to promote diversity, respect each other. I want every victim of violent crime, particularly women, but also people, um, transgender community, LGBT community members. I want them protected. Advocates celebrated the initiative, but Pedro told us they had been demanding action from the government for years. We were urging and asking the government to declare the state of emergency to funnel resources and the whole government response of all the authorities to make sure that there's not only a more robust implementation of laws against gender violence and hate crimes in Puerto Rico, but also education from primary school level to the top to make sure that we end misogyny and homophobia and transphobia and everything that is related to this gender violence and and these hate crimes in Puerto Rico. Pierluisi's administration has earmarked $6 million to increase the resources of all the agencies dealing with gender violence. The executive order also created a special committee called PARE, an acronym that means STOP in Spanish. 
the committee requires three community members of organizations that work with gender violence and women's groups and LGBTQ groups to be included in those three seats out of the 17 seats that are there. And we're hopeful that some of the organizations that have been working with these issues for a long time are included so we can be at the table at the moment that these policies and the resources are being channeled through government agencies and community organizations. And we'll see what happens. But as of now, that meeting hasn't taken place and the three community members have not been named as of today. So far, we've talked about Alexa. But after her killing, Puerto Rico made headlines in U.S. newspapers again with the horrific death of Serena Velasquez and Laila Palaez, two transgender women who were shot and bound inside a burnt-out car. The FBI took over that investigation after local authorities called it a hate crime, and two men were arrested. And most recently in January, another killing. Samuel Damian Valentin was a transgender man. He became the 12th LGBTQ person to lose his life in Puerto Rico in the last two years. So we wondered what it's like to be a transgender person living in Puerto Rico. My name is Ivana Fred Mijan. I work in HIV prevention. I'm also part of a collective called the Butterfly Trans Foundation, which offers services to the transgender community. Ivana is a transgender woman who started advocating for her community in 2000. After 20 years, she's still grappling with these violent murders. It's really sad. Sometimes I feel like my hands are tied in fear since I'm a part of the collective. And it's even worse because I'm one of the voices in this country who shouts the loudest whenever one of these cases happen. So I'm exposed, but I hold firm in my position. Because if we don't continue raising our voices, if we don't continue exercising our rights and making ourselves seen as human beings, if we leave these cases unpunished, then nothing will happen. I think it's very important that we uphold this message constantly. Earlier, we heard Pedro Julio Serrano talking about training that had been given by NGOs to the authorities about the way to handle this vulnerable community. Ivana is one of those instructors. I've taught workshops for the Puerto Rico Police Department, as well as other organizations that offer government services in the country. I'd say that, yes, there have been changes. There are several policies that have been implemented, like Law 624, which is an ordinance about the way the police should interact with transgender people. Just as there have been policies that haven't been implemented, I think there needs to be a bit more heavy-handedness. I'm referring to people in positions of power who need to ensure the implementation of the law with Puerto Rico police so that in this way, no person with a trans identity has their human rights violated. We asked Ivana about the executive order the governor announced recently. I hope that the new executive order doesn't just get written, but that it is also implemented. That the governor will monitor it consistently, put it into practice, and beyond that, communicate regularly with the Trans Identity Collective and ask how it is being implemented, and if their concerns are being addressed. Why? 
Because over the years, this has happened over and over again. The trans community exposes its concerns, and everything is left as is. The two activists we've heard from on this episode first caught our attention through the reporting of a local journalist. My name is David Cordero Mercado, and I'm an investigative journalist in Puerto Rico for a Nuevo Dia newspaper here in the island. I spoke to David a little late at night, so what you'll hear in his background are the famous coquis, little frogs you'll find all over the island. Alexa's case was striking for so many reasons, but one of them, of course, is that there was social media video taken of her being harassed, and then you can hear shots ring out in that video. You drove to the spot of the crime later. What was going through your head in that moment? I feel bad. I feel really bad because just imagine the body of Alexa over there and imagine the the scene and, and the fear that probably she felt when she has been harassed and the dark of the night in a very lonely place. And it just made me feel more responsible in continue working as a journalist to, to try my best to stop this wave of violence against the, the transgender people and the gay community on the island. How did you get connected to this issue? It's a combination, in a way. It also affected me as a human being because um, I'm a gay man. So I'm also part of the LGBTQ community. And then I know all this bad experience of friends of mine. And at the same time, as a journalist, working all these investigations led me to get deep on this issue and understand all the consequences and uh, um, what are the causes of this wave of violence and understand the whole picture. Some people believe that a journalist or a journalistic story always need to have two faces of the story. But in this kind of situations, in human rights issues, there are no two faces of the story. There are just one. And we as a journalist, that we have the access to the information. We also have the responsibility to educate society using our stories. So Puerto Rico has a hate crime law and now is under a state of emergency to deal with gender violence. But will that be enough to protect its vulnerable communities? We asked Pedro Serrano the LGBTQ rights advocate. It takes all of us to change attitudes, to change uh, perspectives, and to change the education system to be inclusive of sexual orientation and gender identity and feminism and human rights and values of acceptance, respect, and inclusion. Um, It starts with school. It starts with the upbringing. It starts with open and affirming 
religious uh, leaders be more vocal than those who hate and who promote division and intolerance. Um, it takes openly LGBTQ people to be more open about their sexuality and their gender identity and inserting themselves into the conversation with their full identities without pulling back. It takes for more education of law enforcement officials and authorities to understand that they re-victimize a whole community when they misgender or they dead name a person. It takes the media to stop misgendering and dead naming trans people who are killed or are victims of violence. There are so many, many, many steps for us to take as a society and institutions to eliminate the horrible scourge of homophobia, transphobia, misogyny, and racism and xenophobia. And above all things, it takes all of us to unlearn all of that and start learning new ways or best ways of respecting the individuality, the humanity, and the dignity of every single human being. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Priyanka Tilbey, Dina Kisbe, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, Nagin Oliay, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. Special thanks to Salimar Colon. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, go to this episode's description. You'll find extra information about the topic and our social media handles. We're at AJ The Take. We'll be back.